Welcome to I'm That Proverbs 31 Girl, where we reveal the positive, powerful, phenomenal essence of who you really are so that you are healed, empowered, transformed into who God created you to be. I am your host, Cynthia McClary, and if you are ready to see yourself with a new set of eyes and understand how to live out your purpose every day on purpose, you are definitely in the right place. Are you ready? Let's jump into today's podcast. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Now, you may have already noticed our name has changed. Yes, we are now I'm That Proverbs 31 Girl. And this is actually how we're listed across all of our social media channels now. So you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and then also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Everything is now listed under or listed as I'm that proverb that Proverbs 31 girl. So different name, but same mission, which is to help each of us live out our God-given purpose. And in order for us to do that, of course, we have to see ourselves from God's point of view. So today we're actually continuing with the topic of insecurity. And my hope is that this helps us to move or at least helps us to begin moving from that pitfall of insecurity into that desired place, that place where we desire to be and that place that God desires us to be, which is that place of confidence, that place that I call the palace of security. So let's get into today's episode. So last week we talked, of course, of course, about insecurity. And we talked about the fact that insecurity, it's a mindset. So it's a belief of how you see yourself and how you interpret the world around you. We talked about the fact that with insecurity and with it being a mindset, it distorts the way that you see yourself. So the way that you see yourself, um, the perspective of it is distorted. So you see yourself other than the way that God sees you. And not only does insecurity affect you, but it also affects your relationships with others because it also gives you a distorted perspective of how other people see you. So what basically happens is because you see yourself from a distorted perspective, you begin to believe that other people see you the same way that you see you. And a lot of times that is just simply not the truth. But because of the insecurity mindset, we believe it to be true. Now, insecurity, it just doesn't affect your relationship with yourself and your relationship with others, but it also impacts your relationship with God. Remember we talked about um, sometimes you can become so super independent because of the fact that you think that you have to carry the weight of making sure that you're okay, protecting yourself, looking out for you because no one else will. Sometimes you can throw that same perspective into your relationship with God and actually see him as someone that you can't trust because of the pattern of 
not being able to trust other people in your life. So insecurity, it's that place where trust, faith, and confidence, all three of those things, they're weak, they're missing, or they're just simply non-existent. Now, insecurity can be caused by a number of different things. And on today's episode, we're going to just briefly look at four possible causes of insecurity. The first one is having unmet needs. And so whenever you're in a place where or in, or there's been a pattern in your life of having of not having your needs met, you can develop insecurity in those particular area. Um just for an example, if you if if you don't know where your next meal or your next paycheck or your next resource is coming from, it can make you insecure. And now that type of insecurity can show up in a number of areas in your life. It could be emotional, it could be relational, it can even show up in your finances. So now the second possible cause of insecurity is lack of knowledge. So there's this song that I love and and part of the lyric says, it takes faith to step out on nothing and believe that something is there. And so basically this is being afraid of the unknown. So an example of that could be you're moving to a new city, going to a new school, or even becoming a part of a different company. So you're changing jobs and this is you're not sure of what to expect because this is not something that you have experienced before. And so sometimes being afraid of the unknown, not knowing the next step to take or if it's the right step or you know things like that, which is a lack of knowledge or that insecurity it's because of there's a it's because there's a lack of knowledge or an a lack of experience in that particular thing now the third possible cause of insecurity is trauma and now with trauma trauma can be something that we consider as small as having someone like jump from behind a door and scare you and they scare you so much to the point to where you develop like a phobia. So every time you approach a door that's closed or even a door that's open, you're cautious because you're not sure if someone's going to jump out and startle you. And then of course, trauma can, you know, trauma can run the gamut from being something simple into even more complex and complicated things like rape, molestation, as well as witnessing a tra- um a tragedy or any type of uh trauma. So those things can trauma just in and of itself can breathe breed insecurity in you. And then the fourth possible cause of trauma are broken promises and broken expectations. For example, an insecure relationship with your father can actually lead to an insecure relationship with men and that can actually bleed over into your relationship with God. So, if you had an insecure relationship with your dad where your where promises were always broken, expectations were never met, 
that could that could make you believe that could make you develop or make you become insecure when other men come into your life you could you could actually take the uh the inactions of your dad and ascribe them to those men and believe that no man is capable of keeping their promises and no man is capable of keeping your expectations of him. So you see how that could work? So like if if one man breaks your heart, you can develop a pattern of not trusting. And there's that tendency to put all men in the same category. And now hopefully you're not one of these women, but if you are, you know, there's always hope. There is still hope for change and forgiveness and for uh, correcting that mindset. But um, whenever there's an insecure relationship, there's that tendency to put to put all men in the same category. And usually the category that 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 women tend to clump men in is the category of all men are dogs. And we know that that is not true because you cannot take the experience that you have with one or some men or people and generalize that on onto the whole entire category. It just doesn't work like that. In our insecure mind, it does, but that's not the reality of the situation. And now this same cause of broken relationship and promises and expectations. Now this can, it's not just about men. No, this same cause can also apply with your relationship with your mom, your relationship with other women, your friendships, it can impact how you interact with your coworkers, even even your relationship with the church. And of course, now we all know that the church is not perfect and we all know that church hurt is real. So that there there are things that can happen, have happened in the church that causes hurt. We all understand that. We agree. We're on the same page. You can be hurt in church. Now, the the thing that I want to caution everyone concerning that has experienced any type of church hurt is to, to make sure that you don't allow the hurt that was impacted upon you or against you in one place to become the reason that you sever your relationship with the entire church. Because sometimes the very thing that you cut off, the very thing that you sever, the very thing that you end the relationship with is the very thing that God wants to use in order to heal the place of your hurt. So just just think about that and don't allow your insecurity to keep you from the healing. Not just that you need, but if you're honest with yourself, the healing that you desire. And now insecurity can be developed at any point in our life and it always comes from an experience that scarred us. So it's the result of being scarred 
in some way, some shape, some form, some fashion at some point in our life. Now, every single scar that we experience, no matter when it happens, how it happened, why it happened, when, where, every single scar that we experience carries the potential, the power to create insecurity in you. So scars are actually the gateway to insecurity. They are what actually break down, breaks down the wall of security and confidence that leaves you vulnerable to doubt, to worry, anxiety, and fear. So scars are actually the root of insecurity. So insecurity is what results from scars. So if you ever want to know where the insecurity comes from or came from in your life, what caused that insecurity, go back to the scar. And the scar is going to lead you because the scar is the root of the insecurity. So if, you, if you're experiencing insecurity in your life, that means that there is a scar that caused that thing. Insecurity did not just show up in your life just for the sake of showing up. No, it showed up because there was a scar that actually allowed it into your life. And now scars, they are simply the place that you've been hurt. So they're the place that we've been hurt. And now with scars, scars can be either visible or they can be invisible. So with a visible scar, of course, like those, those are the scars that we can see the scars, but also we can show those scars that we have. We can show those scars to other people. We can say, look, this is the scar that I received when. And this is what happened. So with visible scars, there's proof, there's evidence that you were actually injured, that you were hurt. You can point to it. You can show it. You see it. But now there are also invisible scars. And now invisible scars, I, I think that they are, they can sometimes be the harder of the two. And the reason for that is because invisible scars, you can't see them. Neither can you show them to someone else. So there are scars that you can't see, but you can feel them. They're internal. They're on the inside. They, they, they typically live in your emotions and in your mind. And these invisible scars, they are often the hardest scars to deal with. And the reason for that is, again, you don't, there's no proof. There's no physical proof of you being injured, of you being scarred. And so what happens is when you have an invisible scar, when other people see you because they can't see your scar, what they see you as 
is strong, well put together. Everything in life is good. And so their perspective is she is strong on the outside and therefore she is strong on the inside. Because a lot of people have the concept that if you're strong on the outside, then your inside must look just like your outside. But of course, that is not the truth. So other people see you strong on the outside, but what they don't know is that you're broken on the inside, that you're weakened on the inside. And so people have different people, other people, because they can't see your scars. You know the scar is there. You can't even see your scar, but you know your scar is there. So other people have a hard time. And so they have different expectations of us. Or they may have different expectations of you. Why? Because what they see on the outside is strength. And in their mind, strength on the outside means strength on the inside. And so they have no clue as to why you're tripping. They have no clue as to why you're acting the way that you're acting or responding the way that you're responding. And here's the, here's the part that we need to get a grip on. So when people, when we have invisible scars and, and we, number one, we can't see the scars. So we can't fault others for not seeing the scars because we can't see those scars either. And what happens is that becomes, that can oftentimes become a gateway to us taking on the persona of being strong. Even though we know that we're broken inside, being strong, but always displaying the strength on the outside because it's what others expect of us because they can't see the hurt inside. So other people assume that the inside of us is as strong as the outside because they don't see the brokenness. They can't see the brokenness because there is no physical scar on the outside of us that we can show them. So with invisible scars, there's no physical proof or evidence that you've been hurt. And so this makes it easy even for the person that has hurt you to not even recognize that they've hurt you because they can't see the evidence. They can't see the proof of you being hurt. And if, we, if we're really honest about things, um, it's hard to recognize and acknowledge what you can't see. I'm sure that at, there's been at least one occasion in life where you've hurt someone, did not even realize that you hurt them. And it wasn't until either they came and told you, hey, you hurt me in this way, or you hurt me when you said, or you hurt me when you did, and you're like, oh my goodness. When I did that, when I said that, I didn't even know that it hurt you. I'm glad that you told me. And why are you glad that they told you? Because you did not even see that they were hurt. Why? Because there was no scar. And so 
invisible scars are also the place where we need to give others a whole lot of grace. Because the same way that we hurt people and sometimes walk off and go on about our lives, not even realizing that we've hurt them, probably go to dinner with them later on that night or the next week. And if that person doesn't say anything, we'll never know that we hurt them. So the same way that we would want grace to be shown to us when we have failed or we miss the interpretation that we hurt somebody, when we said or did or whatever it was that happened, the same grace that we would want extended to us because we didn't see the scar, we didn't recognize the scar because the scar was invisible, we have to extend the same grace to others that hurt us and there's no physical scar. So now there may be some of you that are actually holding on to hurt and pent up anger because the person who hurt you never apologized, never said, I'm sorry. And if that's you, I recommend that you let it go. And no, it's not going to be easy to let it go. Yes, it may still hurt after you let it go. But if you're ever going to be healed from the impact and the damage of the scar, which created the insecurity in you, then you've got to let it go. It's your only choice. And now just as there are people who don't recognize that they've hurt us, or that we've been hurt by someone else, there are people who can actually see our scars. Even when we don't show them our scars, when we don't tell them about our scars. And there are people who can also see our scars even when we don't realize that we've been scarred. Do you know that it's possible to be scarred and not even know it? Just like it's possible to be sick and not even know that you're sick. Now those who are around you, who come in and out of contact with you that may know your regular routine, things like that, those people could actually be aware of the signs and the symptoms even though you're going about your normal day, your normal routine, not even realizing that you're carrying the hurt of a scar. So now how do you see your scars? Remember scars, are they're going to either be visible or invisible. But how do you see your scars? How do you see your scars? Now, Some people see their scars as a sense of pride. It's a badge of honor. And these are typically the people who are so comfortable showing and telling you about your, their scars. They will, they will, you know, lift up their pant leg and say, Hey, you see the scar here? They, They tend to see life from the perspective of how their scar made them better. And so they don't mind showing it off. They don't mind drawing your attention to their scar. They're not trying to hide it. 
They actually want to show it off. And, and these are also typically the people who use the lessons that they learn from their scars as a testimony for others. And now within that same population of people, there's a, there's a subgroup within that group. And that subgroup actually see their scars as crutches. So these are the, these are the ones who they find a way to contribute everything that is wrong in their life to their scar. So why, why aren't you on time for work? Oh, because of my scar. You mean that scar that happened 15 years ago when you fell off your bike with the training wheels on it? Yeah, that scar. It's like everything in their life, the scar is the excuse for that thing. So they'll, they'll use their scar for an, as an excuse for why they can't do something, why they don't do something. So they, they, they use their scar to play the victim. So when it comes to their scar, they are the victim in everything. Even if it doesn't relate to their scar or what happened concerning the scar, but they will use that scar to play the role of the victim. Now, scars, they can either make you bitter or they can make you better. They can empower you or they can make you lose sight of the true power that lies within you. And now, there's another set of people, the second group. Now, they tend to see their scars as weaknesses. And, and, and this is the group that I'm here for. So, what, what do you typically do with weaknesses? What do we typically do when we have identified something as a weakness? Well, I'll give you six things that we typically do when we've identified something as a weakness. Number one, we hide it. Number two, we cover it. Number three, we ignore it. Number four, we play like it doesn't exist. That's our lie. It doesn't exist. Out of sight, out of mind. Number five, we overindulge in other things to make us feel and appear stronger than we are. And number six, we build walls around that thing and subconsciously or consciously, we make a vow never to put ourselves in any position to be hurt like that again. And all of these things, the hiding, the covering, the ignoring, the lying, the overindulging, the building of walls, all of these things are security blankets. But the truth is, you can never be truly secured when you're insecure. So no, no matter how big and tall the wall is that you build, 
or how good you become with hiding, covering, lying, overindulging. Like none of those things can make you secure. But isn't it funny that we use those things to try to be, to try to appear secure. But you can't be secure in insecurity. Now, sometimes because of the love that God has for each of us, now he will allow people and circumstances to come into our lives to actually expose the scars that we have hidden. And he does that for the purpose of, de- of, of allowing us and getting us to the place of dealing with that thing. In an earlier podcast, um, I believe it's the podcast about our daughters. I mentioned that, uh, do you know what happens to little girls with scars? Well, they grow into women with scars. So if you don't deal with your scar, you're going to deal with it in another phase in your life. And it could be worse than or attribute to more trouble than just dealing with it in the first place. So your scar has to be dealt with. Or, or, or at least that's the best way to handle it is to deal with the scar. So now, how do you handle it when your scars, the, 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 the scars that you've hidden, that you've covered, you know, and you think that, oops, you know, I, I, I've covered this one up real good or I have this big old wall around this scar. No one's going to discover it. But how do you handle when your scar is exposed? When some situation happens in your life and it exposes your scar, how do you handle that? And now this can be a place of great discomfort. It's a, it's a moment of fight or flight. Do I run? Or do I stay and confront this thing? Sometimes it can feel like truth or dare. Should I I tell the truth? Or should I take the easy way out by lying, changing the subject, or flipping the script? And you know, well, maybe you haven't done this, but I know I have. Flip the script on somebody else. They're asking me about me. And so I just flip the question around and ask them about them. Now, if you can witness that, witness it. But if that's not you, don't lie. Don't lie and witness it. But now, the way that we respond, so the way that we respond when our scars are exposed, it's going to allow us to do one of two things. It's going to either allow us, how we respond is going to either allow us to to hide or to heal. And now hiding actually keeps us where we are, but healing, it moves us in the, in the direction to become better. Hiding may actually, may actually lead to deeper and greater insecurity while healing, if we choose healing, Healing frees us to live authentically in liberty. And now, those who actually choose hiding, 
it is not always that they're choosing hiding because they don't want healing. Sometimes those who choose hiding, they're actually choosing hiding, but they have a desire for healing, but they don't realize that it's actually possible. So they hear about healing and they agree that healing is possible for other people. And, and you know, sometimes these are the people who cheer you on the most when you're healed. They, be, they believe that this kind of healing can happen in someone else's life. But when it comes to their life, that becomes the impossible thing in their heart. It's available for their mindset is it's available for everyone else and they will they will be your biggest cheerleader. Yet they can't see or even imagine themselves being healed. So they'll rejoice with you in your healing, but they can't see or even imagine that same healing for themselves. So now their new conundrum actually becomes afraid to be healed, but wanting to be whole. So they're in a place where they want to move forward, but they're afraid because they're unsure. And because also they think it's impossible. And now whole is Nothing missing, nothing broken. It's the restoration of your security, the rebuilding of your confidence, the renewing of your faith, and the refreshing of your trust. So now, how do you position yourself for wholeness? Well, I want us to look briefly at Matthew 9, Matthew chapter 9, just three verses, verses 20 through 22. And I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. And just a word of caution, I'm going to be reading part of the scripture and then giving you a soliloquy, then reading some more and soliloquy. So just follow along with me. Again, it's Matthew chapter 9, verses 20 through 22. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. So verse 20 says, and suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood. So this woman had a flow of blood. What is a flow of blood? It's an issue. It's a scar. And now this woman, her issue, her scar, her trauma, her insecurity, it was private. Because it was a flow of blood. But it was visible. It was private because it dealt with a private area. It wasn't an area that she could just, you know, hey, look at my flow of blood. It was a private matter, but it was visible. So all of the doctors that she went to saw the evidence of the scar. All of the doctors saw the evidence of the issue. So she had proof of her scar. She had proof, evidence 
of her issue. So it says, and suddenly a woman who had an issue, I'm sorry, who had a flow of blood for 12 years. Now this woman had a flow, had an issue, had a scar that she carried, that she nursed for 12 years. Now, How long you've been dealing with an issue, how long you've been dealing with the scar, it's actually not important. But what is important is that she was at the place in time where she said, enough is enough. I'm not carrying this scar. I'm not carrying this issue for another 12 years. So she was at the point of, I've had enough. It's been 12 years. And so whether your scar has been 12 months, 12 weeks, 12 days, 12 hours, 12 minutes, when your enough is enough, then it is enough. And so as we continue reading, now the next couple words says, came from behind. So let me read this all the way together. So it says, and suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind. So let's stop right there. So now behind actually signifies her position. So that means that there were people, there were things that needed to be moved out of the way as if she was hidden in order for her to get to the place that she needed to be. So she had to reposition herself. She had to reposition her mind, reposition her location. So she had to come from where she was, from behind, and make her way to the front. And now she did this at the risk of making her insecurity, making her scar, making her issue known and exposing that scar. But she changed position. She came from behind. And then the verse goes on to say, and touched the hem of his garment. So now she connected herself to the one who was able to give her what she needed. And now, if we're real honest, we're all sisters here. Now, if we're real honest, sometimes when we have issues, when we have scars, remember earlier I said um, one of the ways that we respond to our scars being exposed is we overindulge. And now sometimes overindulging could be You overindulging in conversation with people about your scar that don't have the solution for your scar. But now she connected herself to someone who could give her the answer, who had the answer to the solution of her scar, of her issue. And now that connection, her touching the garment, that was connection. And that connection 
denotes relationship. And there are so many ways to connect with God through Jesus Christ. So many ways. If you think about the 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 number of different versions of the Bible that you can read in in digital format, print, audio version. If you think about that, I don't even know how many ways that is. And then if you look in your city, I'm not going to even say how many in your state, but if you look in your city and see the number of churches, okay, and those churches have services, uh, Sunday probably, some might have services on Saturday, some might have service on Monday, some might have services on Wednesday, some might have outings, some might have small groups, large group, family group, Bible group, whatever kind of group. Now you count all of that together. Those are ways to connect with God through Jesus Christ. And then if you add into that equation, the, 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 the people that God may send to you in different ways. You know that person, like every time you walk in Walmart or you walk in the grocery store, they're like, hey, how you doing? And you're like, I don't know you. So I ain't about to sit here and hold no conversation. Well, how do you know that that's not the answer that you're looking for concerning your scar? Many ways to connect to God through Jesus Christ. So we see that she desired him and she refused to settle for anything else. And now her connection also signified that she desired what he had. She knew she knew that he had what she needed and she wanted it. And she wasn't going to take no for an answer. What is it that you are not willing to take no for an answer? She was not willing to take no for an answer. All right, so now if we look at, we're going to go on to verse 21. So verse 21 says, For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. So at this point, we see she is done hiding. She's done lying. She is through with lying. And she is done with covering up. She she no longer wants to lie, hide, or cover anything up. So she's ready for the walls of her issue, the walls of her scars to be torn down. And so she went to this place already believing that in spite of the fact that she had gone from doctor to doctor and from doctor to doctor. Now, I don't know how many physicians she went to, but the scripture does let us know that she went from physician to physician and she did not grow any better, meaning her scar was still there. Her issue was still there. But she went to that place already knowing and believing that this healing was for her that it belonged to her, that it was a part of her portion, that it was a part of what she was supposed to have. She was convinced before she got there that, oh, this belongs to me. Like this had her name on it and she was just going to the post office to pick up her mail because it was hers. She knew it belonged to her. 
And so she went in to that place expecting. And because she went in expecting, she received what she was expecting. So now verse 22 tells us, it says, but Jesus turned around and when he saw her. And now I believe that even now, Jesus is turned around with the expectation of seeing you because he knows that he has what you're in need of. He has that thing that you're afraid to release so that you can be healed. And he knows that he has it. And so he's turned around. He is positioned looking for you, waiting on you, expecting you. And so he's expecting you to pull what you need from him with your desire. Remember, just in verse 21, we saw that she had a desire. She came to that place with a desire. And so Jesus is turned around. He is positioned, expecting to see you and expecting that you're going to pull what you need from him with your desire. And so the scripture, the last portion of the scripture says, he said, be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. She had a visible scar. And now what about when the scar is invisible? And you're afraid to be healed. But at the same time, you want to be whole. Well, I experienced an invisible scar. Um, like I, I, I grew up like seeing hearts broken, hearts being trampled on the ground and thrown away like yesterday's newspaper. Like I grew up seeing that. And even my own heart would actually grow to experience some of the same brokenness and trampling and throwing away or being thrown away that I'd seen so many times before. And now because of, because of my scars and now all of my scars, I did not get through my own personal experiences, some scars because I saw what happened to others it became a scar for me, but I, but I had both. I had scars that I earned directly and then scars that, that I earned indirectly from the experiences of others. But because of my scar, I did what so many other people have done and so many people are doing even now. I subconsciously made a vow. I, I, I don't remember ever saying this out loud, but inside me, I vowed to never let my heart experience anything ever 
remotely close to what it had experienced. And so what did I do? Well, I I did what I thought was in my best interest. And I locked my heart in a proverbial cage, gave God the key, and I told him, listen, as long as you have the key, I know my heart is safe and I know my heart is secure. And now, in my opinion, (laughs) and I say that laughing, but in my opinion, now my trust in God was at a million percent, not a hundred. I was at a million and no one could convince me otherwise. Not even God. My trust in God was solid. And as far as I could see, my scars, they were healed. Now, remember earlier, I talked about, I talked about, um, how we respond when our scars are exposed. And one of the things that I said is that sometimes we act as if it never happened. Out of sight, out of mind. We ignore it. Play like it's not even there. And this is where I was at that time. But I thought that my scars were healed. Because there were no tests. There were no tests to try whether or not I really was healed. And so again, from my perspective, my trust was continuously climbing. So right now I'm probably at like 2 million percent. Because my trust, in my opinion, was continuously growing. I mean just way beyond the sky and the stars. Okay. And in my opinion, I was making progress. But again, there was nothing. There was nothing. I was not being tested in this area. I was not being tested in the area of my scar. So I was confident. I was confident that I'm healed. I'm healed. Like, I don't deal with that. Uh-uh. Uh-uh, girl. I don't. Not me. Mm-mm. Not me. I don't. I do not deal with that, child. That is not my problem. <laughs> okay. And then, one day, God asked me, do you trust me? And of course, you know, because like what? My trust level is already at about 3 million percent. I'm looking at him like he tripping. Like, God, why would you even ask me that question? Like, you know I trust you. And then he asked me to do the thing that I vowed never to do. And and it was it was as if he he was saying, Cindy. If you really trust me, let me take your heart out of the cage that you've trapped it in and let it fly. And now, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I I wrestled with this thing. I, ooh, you, 
I hope you, I hope you could, I hope I could like show you the video clip of the situation. Like I completely wrestled with this thing. I wrestled with this thing. I cried like a, well, no, to actually, actually to say that I cried like a baby is an understatement. Every emotion that you can think of, even emotions that haven't been invented, welled up inside of me, fear, anxiety, worry, doubt, and ultimately the feeling of betrayal. Because remember, I had taken my heart out and placed it in a cage locked the cage and I gave the key to God. And now here he is knowing full well everything that my heart has experienced. And he's asking me for permission to let my heart out of the cage. So it it, it was like the God that I trusted was now betraying me. And I mean, that hurt in a way that I, that I can't even explain. That the God that I trusted would even ask, would even think to ask such a thing. I felt betrayed, honestly. I, I was hurt. Oh my goodness, I was so hurt. And, and of course, because of the hurt impacted by, you know, all of the scars. Oh man, I was hurt. Plus I was afraid. I was hurt and afraid. And, and, and the thing about it is God wasn't relenting. Like it, it was as if he had made up his mind and he was not relenting in his request. And his response to every question always came back to, Cindy, if you really trust me, you'd know I would never do anything to put your heart in jeopardy. And listen, I sat there on that floor between those two beds, not, not just crying. I'm talking about the, the kind of cry I'm talking about to where snot is everywhere. Now, this is an exaggeration, but (laughs) so that you clearly get the picture, like the half of the room was filled with with snot and tears. Like that's how bad it was. That's how bad the situation felt (laughs) that the half of the room, like halfway up the wall, it was just snot and tears. Not really, but. And so. The longer this went on, I, I I was considering even even through the snot and even through the tears, I, I was considering his request. But again, I was afraid to be healed, but I wanted at the same time to be whole. And I mean, it felt like hours had passed. I was losing my breath while choking on my tears. Like my, my my heart reached out for the healing, but my mind was like, uh-uh, girl, remember what happened the last time. Remember what happened the last time. And my whole body, it like shook 
while I was trying to catch my breath. Like, but God wasn't changing his mind. And, and it was as if he turned around in expectation of seeing me and whispered, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And I mean, like, I know that scripture. I know that scripture. But in that moment, through the tears and the snot and the fear and the hurt and everything else, I'm like, oh my goodness, I know that scripture. But for, like, my my heart knew the scripture, but my mind was like, I don't, I don't even know where to begin with this. So, like, I know I... I've heard the scripture before, but I could not recall it. So I was in the room and now typically whenever I'm going out of town or anything, I always have my Bible with me and I had my Bible with me this time, but I left my Bible downstairs in the car. And of course, with the situation that I had going on in the room, it wasn't appropriate for me to go downstairs through the public (laughs) to get my Bible. So I'm in the room and I'm like, oh my goodness, there has to be a Bible. And of course, this was during a time where this was not Googleable. So you could not just open up your phone and just Google it, Cindy. (laughs) Like sometimes I say on the podcast, like, I'm not sure where the scripture is, but Google it. No, no, you could not Google it. There, if there were Bible apps, I had absolutely no knowledge of the Bible apps. I don't really think there were any Bible apps at that time. I don't even know if there were even apps <laughs> at that time. So I'm searching in the room and, and I was able to find a copy of the Gideon Bible. And so I'm sitting on the floor between the two beds, still crying, still snot running down. And, and I began reading the words out loud. And as I'm reading those words, those words actually became the eraser for my tears. Proverbs 3, 5, and 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Now, I continued crying. Tears continued to flow. Probably snot continued to flow as well. But these were new tears. These were now tears of repentance and surrender. And for the first time since I'd placed my heart in that proverbial cage, I could actually clearly see that the thing that I actually thought was protecting me was sucking the life right out of my heart. So that cage that I had built for my heart, placed my heart in, turned the So yeah, the thing that I actually uh, thought was protecting my heart, that cage was actually sucking the life out of me. And so the cage that I placed my heart in turned the key and in my mind I had given the key to God but in reality that cage had become the prison and I was the warden of that prison 
And so in order to be free, I had to relinquish authority and trust the plan that God had for my life. And now this was the first time in forever that I was not in charge of my heart. And now if you if you remember from last week, I told you that one of my one of the ways that my insecurity plays out is I am super independent. Super independent. And so for this to be like the first time in my life where I was not in charge of my heart. It was a little weird. I don't I don't know. I don't I don't remember it at at this point now. I don't I don't recall that process being scary. It was a little weird because now I'm like, okay, so I've really given God the key. Like, like I thought I'd given him the key the first time, but no, I really had the key. That's why when he asked for the key, I started tripping and crying and snotting and all that kind of stuff because I had the key. He wouldn't have had, if God really had the key, he wouldn't have asked, he wouldn't have had to ask me to let my heart out the cage. He wouldn't have had to ask me permission to do it. Truth is, I locked up my heart and I kept the key. And he was saying, Cindy, I need that key. Like, I need that key. I I, I don't want to be outside of you. I want to be in. Like, like, I don't know. If, I don't know. I think maybe this is the moment that I'm realizing this, that when my heart was in that cage, yes, me and God had a relationship, right? But it was a relationship being side by side so he was at he was positioned in the same place that my heart was locked up without real access without total access to me so I I was keeping God not not even realizing that but I was keeping God at bay. I was keeping him at arm's reach. Like I I was telling him the whole time, God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. And the moment he said, prove it, I was like, "Uh uh-uh. Wow. And you know that, oh, I got to hurry up. I got to hurry up. I know this has been, um, I got to hurry up. But just right quickly, that reminds me of you know uh the scripture in the Bible, and now i'm gonna say I'm gonna say this, Google it because I don't remember what the scripture is, but you know that scripture that says where your heart is, that's where your treasure is also well, think about it, and this is like the first time like literally this is the first time that I'm even thinking about my situation in this way, so my heart being in that cave or that cage, my heart being in that cage was representative of my relationship with Jesus, my relationship with God. God was in a cage, so there there were only certain things that he was allowed to do. There were only certain areas that he was allowed, you know, access to control over. I told him, 
you know, I told him when, how high to jump and when to jump, when to move, where he could move. Like I was leading God, not him leading me. But this was the first time in forever that I was not in charge of my heart. And it was the first time that I actually tasted what real freedom was. And now this happened over 20 something years ago. But it was on that day that I gave myself permission to be healed and to be made whole. And now, even even now, even before this happened, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 was one of my favorite scriptures. And so even now, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is still my reminder to trust God with the unseen part of me. Trust God, not just with the visible scars, but even the invisible scars. So on that day, the invisible scar that once controlled my life controlled me no longer. And I was able to move from insecurity over in and towards the place of security. And now we're all sisters here. We're all girls. We're all daughters of our father. And so no no matter what the type of scar is that you have, whether it's a visible scar or an invisible scar. It doesn't matter how that scar came or through whom the scar came. Four things that I do want you to know. Number one, God can and he wants to heal every single scar. It doesn't matter what type of scar it is. He wants to heal it. He can heal it, so that means it's possible, and he wants to heal it. Number two, he has turned around looking specifically for you. So just like he turned around when the woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of his garment, and he was looking to catch her eyes. So it's in that same exact way, that he turned around looking for the woman with the issue of blood. He's turned around looking for you. He's waiting on you. He's expecting you to reach out to him. Number three, he's waiting on you to reach out to him and touch the hem of his garment. Just like the woman with the issue of blood so that you can get the healing that you need for your scar. And fourthly, he's hoping that in the midst of everything, that you hear his voice through the prison, the locked cage, that your heart is currently being held 
captive in and that you will let him in just like I did that day in that room. I hope that you trust me when I tell you that your security matters to God because your faith and your trust follows the path of your confidence. And now without confidence, your vision of who you are will always be distorted. But when your confidence is secure, that is when you'll be able to see yourself from God's point of view. And now that is what he desires and that is what you deserve. So my sisters, until next week, know that I'm praying for you, that you grow into all that God has created you to be and you finally see the amazing you that he sees when you look at yourself from his point of view. Be blessed. Thank you so much for being a part of our listening audience today. Remember, please check us out on all of our social media platforms. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, under I'm That Proverbs 31 Girl, and also subscribe to this podcast. Thank you again. See you next week.